I wonder if you've ever dreamt about winning Tats Lotto. It's a dream that I have on a very, very small occasion thought, gee, it'd be kind of nice to get that kind of money. Well, a couple of years ago, there was a documentary on television about tracing the lives of a number of Tats Lotto winners here in Australia. And I was pretty devastated to discover that over 70% of the Tats Lotto winners were in a worse state a little time after their winning than they were before. They'd blown their money, they'd spent all their money, they'd spent it on things that didn't last, they'd got an image of something the way life could be and then they were back again. They had mind health issues, they were worse off. In our disposable world, perhaps that's the way that we go about it. I think when I've dreamt about winning Taps Lotto, I've dreamt about what I would spend the money on. But one guy in particular stood out in this show. A guy that lived in Sydney. And what he did with his winnings was he bought a restaurant in downtown Sydney. And he did it up. He bought really nice tables, really nice tablecloths, beautiful cutlery and crockery, put some nice paintings on the wall. And he built this restaurant to seat 200 people. And the 200 people were 200 very special people every day that he fed. They were the homeless and the needy in Sydney CBD. And do you know how he sourced his food? He went round to five restaurants in Sydney CBD and collected their waste food at the end of the night. Took it back prepared it, cooked it up the next day and fed 200 people every day on the wastage from five restaurants. The Australian Bureau of Statistics has said that we today, everything we do produces waste and that we're producing waste at an incredible rate, more so than ever before. So much so that In a year, every person on average produces weight, a weight of waste, 20 times me. I won't give you specifics because that might take much away. But 20 times me, every one of us here produces that kind of waste. And they define waste as something that we no longer have a use for. And I wonder in this month if we could kind of change our slogan and say, dependable God, who we sadly no longer have a use for in our disposable world. I wonder if we have. I think God is dependable. I think God is dependable in two ways. I think God is dependable in the instant, in the moment. And that can be in the miraculous It can be the way that God communicated to Sean in Timor through an angelic figure. But I think it's a lot more common that God also communicates to us his dependability in the long run, in the journey of life, especially when things are falling apart as in the plane crash in Madagascar, when our lives fall apart. In 1992, I found myself in America. I found myself in West Virginia. I had 
met up with a church group there, a youth group, and they were going on a camp to West Virginia. There was about 50 of us that travelled down to West Virginia and we were going there with an organisation called Habitat for Humanity that build houses. Maybe they might be kind of recruiting Shawnee soon. But they build houses for people that can't afford to build those houses for themselves. People that are living in really difficult circumstances. And we went down there and what happened was that every night of the week we had a Bible study. And it started with the youth pastor and then some of the other youth leaders led these Bible studies. And they were fantastic. They were some of the best Bible studies that I've been a part of. We open up the Bible, we read it and together we discover what's in there. Well, on the last night, an hour before our scheduled Bible reading, Bible study, the youth pastor came to me and said, Tim, we haven't got anyone to do the Bible study tonight. Yeah, look, we had months to prepare our Bible studies, but we had a bit of an oversight for tonight. Would you do it for us? And Troy, you don't need to listen to this next bit. Being a bit of a yes man, I said, yes, I would do it. She said to me, what we'd like you to talk about is the Holy Spirit. And we have, we've bought several hundred of these bubble blowers. And we'd like you to talk about the Holy Spirit and use these bubble blowers in your talk. (laughs) I thought, right, (laughs) right, great. Maybe I could just blow bubbles for the whole talk. Anyway, I said I had said yes, so I was in for it. So I ran as fast as I could to my tent, grabbed my Bible, picked it up and started flicking madly through my Bible trying to find something on the Holy Spirit. I thought, very quickly, this is silly. This isn't going to get me anywhere. Instead, I decided that I would go for a walk and I would have a conversation with God. I would pray. And about halfway through this walk, I heard what I would say is a voice in my head which I think was God's voice. Say, you are ready. Kind of exciting, kind of, what does that mean? How do I use the bubble blowers? (laughs) But I didn't get anything more. So I came back and I thought, well, hopefully that is a message that I'm ready to do this Bible study. Now, to this day, I cannot tell you a word of what I said. I can't tell you if I used the bubble blowers. There was a few bubbles around afterwards, but I can't tell you if I used them in there. There was our group there, and we were about 50 in number. There was two other groups that had come during the week that were gathered in this sort of central space that was kind of this run-down old hall. There was over 150 people there. God spoke to each one of them. There was an incredible response of tears, tears of joy, tears of healing. The number of people that came up to me afterwards and the next day that said God touched their life, God changed their life in that moment, I couldn't count. And it wasn't me. I can't remember a word I said. It was a dependable God speaking his words to a situation that he knew about 
in a way that was going to touch the lives of everyone there. God was dependable in that instant. God can also be dependable in the instant in a miraculous way. In that same year, I found myself in a church building, in a church service in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And the way that they ran this church service was that they would have someone that would come up the front and ask people if they needed prayer for healing. Say, come forward and we'll pray for you. And we expect to see you healed. A seven-year-old girl came forward, the same age as my dear son, came forward and she was prayed for. I can't remember what her issue was that she needed prayer for. But the, the person leading at that stage said, in his mind, he felt that God was saying that she should take over. And so she led the prayer at that point. And a chap sitting across, I was sort of sitting on this side, he was sitting on this other side, a young guy got up with his crutches, his leg in plaster and he hobbled up to the stage and he said he'd had a motorbike accident and he'd broken his leg in several places. This girl prayed for him and I kid you not, before my very eyes and everyone there, the plaster fell off his leg. He dropped his crutches and didn't walk back to his seat. He danced back to his seat. God can be dependable in the miraculous, in the instant. But I think it's a lot more common, I believe it's a lot more common for God to be dependable in the long run, in the journey of our lives. In 1996, 18 years ago, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. It's been a long, hard, difficult journey for myself and for Sharon particularly. I wouldn't wish chronic fatigue on anyone in the world. But it's also been a journey of discovery of how great and awesome and dependable our God is. I could have spoken for hours about ways in which God has been dependable through these 18 years, but I thought of just a couple of examples. By the fact that I was the breadwinner and I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue, it sort of meant, oh, that's going to be an end to our income. But Sharon was able to work and we were able to generate some income to survive. We somehow, I couldn't remember as I was preparing for this talk how we came about to make contact with an Anglican church in Ringwood here who had a church built, a house built I should say, for their minister, for their pastor. She wasn't living in that house so they could rent that house out and they rented it to us at an incredibly cheap rate that we could survive and have a place to live. And some dear, dear friends of ours lent us a car for over a year so we had something to drive. That was God looking after us. On another level, I joined a number of chronic fatigue syndrome support groups and I was able to support, encourage 
and walk with and journey with a number of people suffering much worse than me. One girl that was taking 20 Panadol a day just to get through the pain. And I think above everything else in my life, my journey with chronic fatigue has helped me to understand and appreciate what life is like for a person suffering. And typically, our teenage years have a lot of suffering in them. And it's been a journey that has helped me really identify with teenagers. And the things that I've been able to do in youth ministry in these 18 years to help and support and encourage teenagers has been all from God, a gift from God to those people, to our dependable God that journeys with us. I'd like to, in a moment, just read to you a story from the Bible that talks about this dependable God in the midst of our wasteful world, in the midst of the people saying, we no longer have use for you. The story comes from Hosea. Hosea is one of the prophets. And this month, we've been looking at the prophets. Now, the prophets are people that spoke forth God's word to the people. Well, God's mouthpiece, if you like. They weren't just fortune tellers. They didn't just predict the future. Why they are so good for our message about a dependable God is that they spoke about what God had done in the past, what God is doing now, and what God will do in the future, and how you can depend on that because of what he has done, what he is doing. This is Hosea. Some images are going to come up on the screen and these images, let them sink into your brain as images depicting how God is seen in this passage. They're just everyday people but this is the sort of things that God says that he is doing in this passage. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on the jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. 
My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. The images there are images of God right from infancy, watching over, caring, actively engaging in the lives of the people. He feeds them. He teaches them to walk. He bends down to pick them up when they fall. He heals them. And at the end, I love it, I will return them to their homes. Now again, it's not just the three bedroom brick veneer home on the quarter acre block. It's the home, it's the place where they belong. Our home is the place where we belong. But did we see amidst that the people's reaction? And I wonder if our reaction's the same. They went away. They looked up to Baal and other idols. They, they, they tried to find the answers in other gods, in other ways. And I wonder if maybe we in our disposable world, have said, maybe I don't have use for you anymore, God. I had depend on my own resources. Like the plane crash in Madagascar, maybe we confess crimes. We confess doing things wrong in the moment of desperation. Maybe we fall asleep and try and sleep it off and hide away from it. I know I do that. Maybe we look to a wobbly doll to find our comfort. I wonder what it is that we do, what we turn to. Why do we take our eyes off and how do we take our eyes off this dependable God? I'd like to offer to you a tool today. In a moment, I'm going to get the musos to come up ready to play and I'm going to read to you a poem, a story that I want to explain to you as a way that we can use to help us see and hear from this dependable God and to maybe open our eyes a little more to see how this dependable God has been active in our lives. I'll read this to you. It's called Footprints. Some of you may have heard of it before, may have seen it before. Some of you may have it 
on your toilet door or on your Bible. One night, I had a dream. I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to me and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of my life flashed before us, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that many times along the path of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in my life. This really bothered me and I questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. In times when I needed you the most, you should leave me. The Lord replied, My precious, precious child, I love you. And I would never, never leave you during your times of trial and suffering. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. I want to suggest and encourage you to come forward and take a card. There's some on the piano, there's some down here that have this poem on there. And I want to challenge you this week to take this and read it a number of times. And having read it, look back. Look back at the joys and the sorrows in your life and see when the dependable God was there and how he was there. It may have been in the instant, in the miraculous. It may have been in the long, hard slog. But he's been there. He is dependable. He has been there from the start. He is here now and he will be there in the end. I invite you, I encourage you, come, take a card, take it home this week, read it, read it a number of times. Sit with God and say, God, show me how you carried me.